brought it up. They probably need it. <laughs> Scriptural, the Bible says that God sends showers of blessing. <laughs> Amen. Israel said he's going to look it up. <laughs> Make sure I'm not preaching heresy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, we welcome you this morning. So glad you're here. Um, I believe God in these next few moments will do something dynamic in all of our lives. Amen. And uh, we just had an amazing week of prayer. And uh, we had uh, well over 50 people every night praying this week and uh, interceding. And uh, we started out Sunday night just praying personal consecration over our lives, giving our lives to the Lord. And then Monday night we prayed for marriages and family. Tuesday night we prayed for healing and provision. Wednesday night we prayed for souls. Thursday night we prayed for our nation. And Friday night we just prayed for the Holy Spirit and uh, for revival. Amen. And uh, I believe God wants to do great things. Amen? And uh, this morning I believe He wants to do something great in your life and uh, just before i get in the message i do want to uh aaron or luke or somebody would you if we have that uh, uh clip ready to go uh next weekend before you start just a second next weekend is our uh our partnership with the martin luther king celebration and on sunday night at capital christian center and then on monday we we walk with them uh in the march and uh, just as a, a, a statement of, of cohesiveness and solidarity, as I shared in first service, over the last several years, about five years now, it's really taken off, uh, is the, uh, our City Pastors Fellowship. And we have over 400 pastors in the Sacramento region that quarterly get together and uh, meet. We pray with one another and our spouses. And we have lunch together and have a time. And it's built great, great friendship and a bond of, of, of unity in our Sacramento region. And uh, it's really grown, and our march together has grown uh, in that way. And it's getting, uh, all across the nation, people and communities are getting wind of what's happening in our region. And Sacramento is really named the City of Sacrament, and uh, has, has an amazing history in that. And, uh, but what's coming together and what happens is awesome. And on Thursday, I got to go to be with uh, Pastor Francis contacted me and said, do you have an uncommon friend? By uncommon friend, do you have somebody that is an unusual friend, maybe somebody out of your ethnic background and the way you came together? How did you mix? How did you reach across? Because we live in such a divided society today. We're being divided. We have politicians d dividing us by, by our economy, dividing us by our racial background, dividing us by everything's a division, and then they pit one against the other trying to get you to m believe that they're on your side. They're not on your side. They're manipulating you. And uh, But anyway, moving right along. And uh, But with that, I have an uncommon friend that I met 29 years ago while we were pastoring in Bieber, and God brought him into my life. His name is Thomas Hogue, and he is a, a wonderful black gentleman in my life. I call him my black father, and I'm his only black son, uh, white son. And uh, so uh, I'm the, the older we get, the more we look like each other. <laughs> and uh, it's awesome. 
but we shot a video Friday, I mean Thursday, uh, for the MLK celebration, sharing our testimony and that how God brought us together. And it's kept us together now for 29 years, doing life and ministry together. And so it's important. And so with that, we're, we walk together, we stand together, we share each other's cause. Amen? And uh, so I just want to encourage you next Sunday night, 530, to come join us at Capital Christian Center for the celebration and then also for the march. Go ahead, Luke, if you're ready, son. Sergey. Amen. So plan next Sunday and uh, we will have a great time together. And then on Monday, I just encourage you to come out and go with it. It's a great day. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you this morning for this time. Holy Spirit, I ask you in these next few moments that you would do what only you could do. Could you open our hearts to receive, open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what you would desire to reveal to us through the word this morning? Father, we thank you at your heart, your desire that we would come to know you in all of your fullness. Lord, we thank you. We've set this year apart and this beginning of this year to, to fast, to pray, to seek you. So, Father, we're coming after you. You said if we would seek you, we would find you. So that's our heart. That's our desire. And so, Lord, today, let us find a little bit more of you than what we had before we came. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 10. And as we're getting ready to read that, I, uh, uh, as you get there, then the cover of your outline I put for a memory verse this morning, Luke chapter 14 and uh, verse 27, where Jesus says that, and if anyone and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be, everybody say cannot be, cannot be my disciple. He didn't say it's more difficult. He, he didn't say it, it'll be a challenge. He said it cannot be. And uh, when it comes to bearing our cross, that gets defined a little bit differently for each one of us. But because there's different things that have a hold of my life than have a hold of your life. There's some things that for me that would would be a challenge for you, but they're not a challenge to me. And there's other things that, you know, vice versa that you're doing that I, I just couldn't do because that would be too great of a challenge. I mean, it's just we're, we're made up differently. And so it's something that we all deal with. So as we begin a year of fasting and praying. Why, why fast? Why pray? Why seek God? Because it takes more than your own strength to live for God. 
it, it takes something. And, and, and last week as we shared on the alignment factor, getting my life lined up with God. The word of God's not a pendulum, it's a plumb line. And it's important that we live our life lined up to the word of God. I love listening to different perspectives and opinions. I love learning from all different viewpoints. I love to learn. But I always want to come back to the center point of God's word. I want my life aligned on God's word. I don't want to swing to the left or swing to the right. Over the years as a young preacher, I was, I was a swinger. <laughs> Whatever the move was, bless God, I was moving with it. I was in the mood, praise the Lord. But now I, I just want to be plumb with God. I, I want the word to be clear. I want it to be straight and that. And so it's so important that we keep our life centered on the word of God. And you'll find out if you're, as you're walking and serving the Lord that things pull you to the left and to the right. That life pulls on you. Life pushes on you. Circumstances. And it takes a, a concerted conscious effort to keep your life centered in Christ. It isn't just going to happen, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit doesn't overtake you and make you do anything. He empowers you to do it. You're empowered by God to live for God, but you do it. He gives you the grace, He gives you the strength, but we choose and, and, and we make the effort to live for the Lord. Amen? And uh, so I put this, in, I'm a little bit ahead of myself. This confession won't make sense to you till the end, but we'll say it in advance. Amen? By faith believing. Declare it with me. Father, today I choose to seek you while you may be found. I choose to set the cross of, I, excuse me, I choose the cross of Christ as my true north, allowing my direction in life to be set in agreement with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I put this up here today because you look at a, uh, at a compass. Um, that's always what it does. When you set a compass down that, um, arrow in that compass it always if, if it's correct and it's magnetized correctly it always points north and you can spin the compass underneath it and you see there on that compass it, they, they have north pointing south but how many know that's not that's not where the arrow is pointing it's not pointing where that what it says on the compass the arrow is always pointing north and Jesus is the arrow in our compass, and the cross is the arrow in our compass, and it's always giving us true north. And so that we always come back and set our life back to the true north of God's word. And the only way to do that is through the cross. We just sang an amazing song. We're going to finish with that at the cross. But it, many times we sing it, and this stuff is wonderful to sing. This is awesome to sing about the cross. Now, living it. That's a different story. It's great to hear it preached and shout out. The, the most inadequate I ever feel is when I try to preach on the fullness of the cross. To bring it across an understanding. And pa Paul said that there's an offense in it. He said that. He said, you know what? If I ha have, am preaching the law and I'm preaching some of that, then why am I still suffering the offense for the cross and being persecuted for the cross? So, first, um, excuse me, Mark chapter 10 and beginning in verse 17 and there, this is not a parable. This is an encounter of a young man with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not an illustration. This is a literal encounter that Jesus has with a person coming to him and asking him the question. Verse 17, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? 
Now, we're going to read what Jesus said, but listen to that. What do I need to do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? You're going to find out that Jesus did not tell him you don't need to do anything. He didn't say, because of me, you're going to be saved by grace. There's nothing you're going to have to do. It's all going to be done for you freely. There, there, there'll be no requirements on you. Nothing will be required of you. It's just all done. You're just going to, you're going to get it. You're going to lay in it. You're going to rest in it. It's just going to be, you know, you're going to be a spiritual couch potato until I take you to heaven. Glory to God. You're just going to be a lump of spiritual blob until I take you to heaven. That isn't what he said. All right, so watch. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Everybody say commandments. So Jesus gives the commandment. There's a difference in commandment. He didn't say you know the law. He said you know the commandments. Moses gave the Ten Commandments. And then what followed the Ten Commandments was the, the law or the ordinances that taught us how to order our life in compliance to the commandments. So in order to keep the commandments, here's the, uh, the, the law that keeps your life in compliance to the commandments. So the commandments were the standard to live by. The law were the requirements to stay in compliance to the commandment. Now, you and I, we're not under law, but we're still under commandment to live by God. Jesus said this, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? If I'm your Lord, keep my commandment and so then he goes on to say this he doesn't quote the law he goes back and he says this he said do not commit adultery don't murder don't steal don't bear false witness don't defraud honor your father and your mother the guy goes sweet sweet i got this he says and he answered and said teacher all these things i have observed from my youth yes that's what he says jesus looking at him said, oh, foolish one. No, no. <laughs> Looking at him, loved him, and said to him, what? One thing you lack. Everybody, please up here, let me give you an encouraging word this morning. As long as you're living for the Lord, the moment you think you're there, he'll say, let me help you. One thing you lack. The great message I preached a long time ago. I haven't preached it for years and years and years. One thing I desire, one thing I lack, one thing I do. One thing I desire that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life and worship at his holy hill. Amen. One thing I lack, I'm going to deal with that. One thing I do, I'm going to press towards a mark for the high call of God. God always has that one thing that he's working on in our lives. Amen? That one thing that he's working on. So he said to this young man, one thing you lack, look what he said. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away grieved for he had great possessions. And the one thing that God always speaks about in your life and my life, when we begin to fast and pray, say, man, I'm going to fast for my friends to get saved. And you start out fasting for God to move in somebody else's life, and he comes up and he begins knocking on your door. So wait a minute, Lord, we're not here to talk about me today. I'm praying for my friends. This, fast, this is the fast I have chosen for them. I'm after them. This is about them. They need help. I know you and me, you know, we're, we're, we're tight. Glory to God. And the Lord said, that's wonderful. I'm glad you care about them. But I need to talk to you. I'm here for you and that. I will ever live to make intercession for them. I'm able to save them to the uttermost. I'm working on you. 
Amen? And the Lord always comes back, no matter what, He always comes back to us. And so in that place, and walk with Him, and that's why fasting and prayer is so important in a lot. That's why it takes that time to bring us back to that place of alignment with God, because there's always something, and it's amazing, the thing the Lord always comes and deals with us about is things that have a greater hold in our life than He does. And then we move in, as I gave you that slide last week, we move into negotiation mode with God. And why it's a good thing. All right, moving right along. Hallelujah. So look at the cover of your outline this morning. The cross of Christ is the needle in our compass. In life, it is where we find our true north. It is the anchor point from which we are to chart the course of our life. Each of us charts our own course in life. We choose our destinations, goals, desires, and set a course we think that will cause us to arrive there. We sail on the seas of our decisions with the goal and expectation of arriving on the shores of our dreams. The question, though, remains, is the cross of Christ the needle in my compass, or is it another? The cross can be a very offensive place. I'm going to read this to you in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said this, verse 34 through 39. You can just write it down. He says, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. How many know that's easy to do? And a man's enemies will be those in his own household. We've all maybe experienced that. He who loves father and mother more than me, listen, is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life shall lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So the cross can be a very offensive place. For it's a place of both death and life. It calls us to death so that we might live. Because there's no life in Christ without a cross. There's no life. It's, it's a challenge. If, if you'll find it, it, it and the, the scripture there in Luke, it begins in Luke in verse 25. It says, as great multitudes were following Jesus, Jesus walked, and these multitudes, and he stops and he turns around. He says, if you're going to follow me, it will cost you. And every time he spoke, multitudes would go away. And even to his disciples, he was there. And in John chapter 6, he's doing, he said, man, I'm the bread of heaven. And except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are none of mine. They just go away. Because this, this is not the easy path that we have set to live for Christ. I, 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 I never forget, uh, one day Donnie Moore was telling the story. They were doing the campus uh, uh, rallies and stuff and, and the schools. <coughs> excuse me, and, and these kids were all saying, you know, well, Christianity is just for wimps. And I go, is that right? And I said, is that right? Here, j- just take my Bible and, and put it on your arm like this and walk around campus all day. Oh, no, man, I could never do that. Why not? Oh, man, people make fun of me. And I said, you wimp. <laughs> Amen? I, I, thought you, I thought you were a jock. I thought you were tough. I thought you were, you know, you, you were the, the big brash guy. Just walk around. Just be bold. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Oh, you're the wimp. 
And so living for God is not easy. This is not for wimps. This is not easy. And, and if we understand the cross and we understand what God has done, as Lord willing, these next few moments I can share with you, then the power that God has made available to live this life only is available through the cross. But the cross can be so offensive to us. Many try to live a crossless Christianity, a life in Christ at no expense to sell. It is not possible. It's not possible to live for Him with no expense to your own life. Christianity is the great reversal of all things perceived in life, about life, with the promise of eternal life if we accept the call of the cross, which means to die to self and to live in Christ is the price we are called to pay. The young ruler said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? well, keep the command. Okay, I did that. And, and it was just kind of, that's like Jesus, you know, you just don't want to go for the juggler vein right at first. And so he, he sets him up, and he just, and the guy goes, okay, I'm good. And he goes, okay. But, but listen, listen to what it says. It says, and Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He says, Santa, I love you. There's one thing you lack. And unless you deal with this, it will always have a greater hold on you than me. And you'll be frustrated in your walk. You won't make it. You will have to follow me. You will ha- I love you enough. This thing will keep us apart. You will have to deal. This will be your cross. And so then you can pick it up and you can follow. But until you deal with this. People say, well, I thought we were saved by grace. So my question is, does salvation cost nothing? Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And it's true, we are saved by this amazing grace. But in a moment, I hope I can define grace for you to another level. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, for time's sake, I'm going to begin reading while you're turning there. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, and once you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were By nature, children of wrath, just as others. But God, everybody say, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourself it is the gift of God but it is the gift that came through the cross that comes to you and to receive the gift you're asked to pass through the cross into the life that is the gift amen that's the invitation does it cost nothing Hear me this morning. Nothing in all the universe comes at such a cost as our salvation. Think about it. It costs the word. Go with me to John chapter 1. The gospel of John in the first chapter. Verse 
Verse 1 says, in the beginning was what? In the beginning was what? Was the Word. Watch this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was what? With God. And the Word was what? So in the beginning, God and the Word were one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So the Word in the beginning was God. It was with God. And all things were made through Him. Everybody say Him. The Word was a Him and Him as the Word. And without Him, without the Word, nothing was made that was made. And in Him, in the Word was life. And the life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend. But look at verse 14. And the Word became what? Flesh. So hear me this morning. It cost the Word. Who is the Word? He is the one. Look at your outline there. Who from the unbegun beginning was God? The Word in the beginning before anything we know. When Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha is the beginning of time. The Omega is the end of time. I'm the beginning of this time space you and I are in. I'm the beginning of it. I'm the end of it. But I always was. I'm not defined by time, arranged by time. I am that I am. And so before, man, before anything we conceive in our time frame happened, in the unbegun beginning, the Word and God were one. But the Word accepted, it cost the Word a change of who it is. He became flesh. Follow me this morning. Look. He who from the unbegun beginning was God and face to face as an equal in the Holy Trinity. It costs him the humiliation of exile from the throne room of the universe to the renunciation of the glory and the majesty which had been his. In John chapter 17, Jesus, who was the Word, who became flesh, is now praying to the Father. And he says, Father, glorify me with the glory again that I had with you in the unbegun beginning. I had to get to come here to be flesh with man. I had to give up a glory. And, and I was the word, but now I'm the son of man. And I hunger for the glory that I gave up. I chose. I gave it up. I freely laid it down because of your great love for humanity. You want to know how much your salvation cost? God changed the very course of who he is for you. Cost him the acceptance of an identity with humanity so complete that he must forever remain the Son of Man. Jesus didn't go back and re-become the Word. He's seated by the Father as the Son of Man. And now he sits in that transformed state. The Word still as the Son of Man sits there. In Hebrews 7.25, he ever lives to make intercession for you. Glory to God. Well, you know, Pastor, I don't, I don't know if I can pray for an hour. Oh, shut up. You know, I don't, I don't know if I could... If I could give up a meal, 
How could I survive if I didn't eat? God changed his glory. He gave up his glory that you might have life and you can't give up a meal. I'm, I'm, gonna get, I'm, I'm all in your grill today. I'm up inside. I'm in your wheelhouse. I'm in your grill. I'm in your oven. I'm changing your temperature. Whatever it is, I'm in it today, honey. Hallelujah. Why? Because God, God is inviting you into Him. And unfortunately, He doesn't want who you were with Him. The same way He was transformed, He wants to do that same work on the inside of you. Which is why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we quote it, excuse me, but we quote it way too flippantly. Because we say, if any man be in Christ Jesus... If any man be in the word that was transformed from glory into the glory of the Son of Man, if any man enters into this transformed glory of the Son of Man, he then is transformed and becomes a new creature in Christ. Well, do I, re do I really have to change to serve God? Today we're going to lay hands on people and just suddenly slap you. We ask some of the dumbest stuff. And we know it's not true. We know God is playing. And we're just trying to convince ourselves to stay dead. We who were dead in our trespasses and sin have been made. You can't make dead alive and cause it to remain dead. You can't stay in your trespasses and sin and call it new life in Christ. You have to step out of death and into life. It costs you that much. And unfortunately, we as preachers have been too cheap with the gospel. We've made salvation too easy. There has to be a place in your life when you come to Christ. I can introduce you to Him in 30 seconds, but you won't die there. Nobody ever died praying the sinner's prayer. You die that moment you get before God in that solitude place and you and God, the presence of God is in your faith and you know the sin in your life and you're convicted by God and you know unless you repent, unless you give this up, unless you lay your life down, you're not coming out of there. It's that place you give and you lay your life. That's why Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. Don't allow yourself to be shaped and conformed by this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If God was willing for his word to be so transformed and to leave glory, to take on the form of sinful man and make it be an eternal change. That's what it costs, the word. We haven't even gotten to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost yet. Amen. It cost the Father the sacrifice of His only begotten Son, in whom He was well pleased on Golgotha's tree, where He laid upon Him the iniquity of us all, yours and mine. The Father said, not only that, Son, not, not only word, 
Are you going to be transformed and become son of man? But in order for this to work, in order for this grace thing to come about, in order for you to be saved by grace, the free gift of God, this is how it's going to have to be paid for. You're going to have to take on this form. You're going to have to be totally transformed. And then you're going to have to be nailed to a tree. And you're going to have to be despised and rejected by those you're coming to save. And they're going to spit on you. They're going to mock you. They're going to scourge you. And they're going to kill you. But then you're going to forgive them. And you're going to rise up. And you're going to say, now come in. Walk through my death that you might step into my life. Glory to God. I said, well, okay, I did that when I prayed. You won't. Paul said, Paul had to say, hey, hey, I die daily. I have to bring this body into subjection daily. Why? Because my course is set to heaven. And, and, and I want to make, it's my goal, and my eye is on the pride and all this stuff. And I have to get it off. And so Jesus took my iniquity. I, I can't, if he died for it, I can't ask him to embrace it. Why did he do that? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Or in other words, the just died for the unjust. What about the son? What did it cost the son? It's not enough that he changed the nature of who he was. It's not enough that the word became man. What did it cost him as the son of man? The patient pursuit of the path of obedience. Go, go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Are you doing all right? Philippians chapter 2, watch this. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you. You know, Paul didn't say, this mind is going to be in you. Now that you're saved, God just comes in, gives you a new mind. No, he said. He said, let let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You let it happen. You come into agreement with this mind. This is the mind you are to have, not your mind. Let this mind, this viewpoint, this perspective be yours. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, the Word, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Remember what we said, the word in the, in the unbegun beginning took on the form, made himself of no reputation, and being formed in the fashion of a servant. The God of glory gave up his glory to become a servant. What will it cost you? The preeminence of your own pride. One of the first things that we lose in coming to Christ is our pride. Getting past yourself. We live in the most egotistical world. We live in the most egotistical society, the most self-centered society on the face of the earth. Everybody wants to come after uh, to America to chase the American dream. I can be anything I want to be. We are the nation of I. 
We are the nation of the great one, the individual self. We are the nation of the glorified self is what we've become. It's permeated into every fabric of our culture. And now it's so perverted, we are the persecuted selves. Well, nobody understands me. I have this problem. I have this problem. I was abused. I was this. I was that. You just weren't beat enough as a child. (laughs) We just should have dropped you three or four times just a little bit harder. Moving right along. That's a whole other message. (laughs) Hallelujah. Dear God, one of these days I'll be arrested for stuff like that. Hallelujah. (laughs) Yes. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself. Everybody say made himself. He made himself. See we think God just come along and make me be a Christian. Make me live right. Make me. You will make yourself. The rich young ruler said what do I have to do to be saved. Jesus said you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to let go of this. And then you are going to have to come after me. And pick up your cross and follow me. You will make yourself my disciple. Are you doing alright? It will happen to you the same way. Well I thought Jesus did it for me. He did. And his grace empowers you to do it. Just like he did it. Are you with me this morning? Form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in what? In appearance as a man. He did what? He humbled himself and became what? Obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And without the humbling of ourselves. There is no exaltation. Without coming to Christ the same way that he came to us. When we pass through him. We pass through the same process. I'm sorry, I'm probably not making any friends. Next week I'll have four people here. Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, but they'll be sincere. Glory to God. So why? That's what it costs us, son. Now stay with look, go look back at your outline. He bore our sins in his body on a tree, plunging him. Hear me this morning. What happened? Jesus in the path of obedience, even unto death of the cross, where he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, plunging himself into the spiritual desolation of hell itself and drawing from him the anguished cry that marked the bitter cup of his father's will. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is your salvation free? Yes, but through the price of grace. And for you to be saved by grace, Jesus had to pay this price. What was that price? To become, to go from the glory of the word, to become the son of man, to become obedient, to take on the form of a servant, to finally have your iniquity placed on him to the point. Listen to what he prayed. Father, glorify me before he got to the cross, before he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? In John 17, he's praying. Father, glorify me. I remember the glory. I gave it up to be here. Now, Father, let your glory do that and it's like the father saying son just a little bit longer we just have to go just a little bit further it's kind of like when Jesus came to John to be baptized and John says no I need to be baptized by you and Jesus said John suffer it to be so for now 
that all things might be fulfilled. And so the Father says, now, there's just a little more that we're, you and I will have to endure together because for this thing to be complete, you have to go all the way to the cross. You have to carry their sin. And there will be that moment when you become sin, when their iniquity is fully placed upon you, I will not be able to embrace you. I will not be able to look at you. And I will turn. And you, for the first time in all of the unbegun of time, will experience a separation. You and I will be separated. This that left glory to become man, to bear the price of our sin, you and I, and full darkness will encounter encompass you and you'll have to go to hell and you'll have to pay the price so you would never have to and then I want to know well how, what's the cheapest way I can get to heaven die so in darkness the word the word the son, father where are you? Where are you? I'm alone. Where are you? In all of his humanity, at that moment, you see the full humanity, God embracing the fullness of your, you find your darkest place, you find your darkest moment, your deepest heartache, your deepest despair, your hardest moment of rejection, and you know nothing of that moment of where are you? Because it was the weight and the sin of all of humanity on one man. That's how much your freedom costs. You say, well, Pastor, why do we fast and pray? Because when I understand that, I, I don't want to miss that. Something was bought for you and for me to partake of that is beyond the comprehension of what we've attained to so far. There is such... An amazing life that is granted to you in Christ on the other side of death. Are you with me this morning? It cost the Holy Spirit an age-long ministry, a patient wooing, the stubborn hearts of sinful humanity with the call of the sweetness of the gospel of Christ. And suffering long with men who treat him poorly. You know it's amazing. The things they did to Jesus are nothing compared to what we've done for the to the Holy Spirit for centuries. But what about us? See not all angels and all the angels in heaven can declare the cost of this glorious salvation. Which God in his amazing grace offers as a free gift. To us as such undeserving sinners. And it's going to cost us to follow. Because the acceptance of this gift is like the provision. It's costly. It costs the renunciation of a self-life and all which we hold so dear. Meaning that in order for our ship to arrive at his expected end. We will have to lighten our load. Let's see. I want to go to heaven, but I like this.
This is cool. I don't need that. I'm loud enough already. This is cool. Oh, I found something. This isn't bad. I need that one. This would be too bad. I'll use these sometime. <laughs> um, could you serve in nursery? No, I don't think so. Would you? <laughs> I'll be just a second. Whoops. It's all right. I'll be right back. I love the Lord. I've given him my whole life. Everything I have belongs to him. Except this. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you hear, Come unto me, all ye who are laden and heavy burdened. Sister, that verse is for you. You have lo I can see today you have lots of burdens just laden with wait did you did you hear that I'm pretty sure this altar calls for you too excuse me and then oh, would you like to get saved yes okay repeat after me I believe in Jesus I give you my life I confess my sin believe I'm saved. Amen. Okay, that's awesome. Oh, wait a minute. You forgot some stuff. Oh, I don't get to keep this? No. Okay. So you have to find a place called a cross where you lose it all. And you get free. It costs you something. It costs you something. People say... People say, <laughs> as the worship team comes back, <laughs> some of your stuff is over here. This is working out better than I thought. <laughs> the cross is the place of complete surrender. No one can accept Christ and his salvation on lesser terms than complete surrender of self to him. See, Jesus never preached how easy it was to be saved. Turn to the multitudes and he says, you think you'll come after me? You think I came to bring peace? It's not going to be peaceful in your home. I was going to Bible school. As a young guy. Wyman Harrell would come. We worked together for 
almost three years. Every day, at the end of the day, if we finished our orders early, he'd say, Don, he'd call me on the radio, Don, where are you? And he was a technician, and I was an install guy for the cable company, so as a technician, he could come wherever I was. I'd say, well, I got a problem with this, okay, so come over here. We'd kind of lie a little bit, but because we're on the radio. So he would come to where I was, and I would preach my heart out like this to him. The power of God would fall. The anointing of God would be so strong. I'm giving my test. I'm telling him, I'm a scholar. I go, Wyman, God is trying to reach you. You need to give your life to Christ. Oh, Don, I just like listening to you talk. I feel so good when you talk. I just like listening to you talk. I said, Wyman, I'm not talking. This is the gospel. This is life and death. And one day we're sitting there, and he began to open up, and, and, and he goes, well, really, I, I, I was, my mom and my parents were, were Nazarene. I was raised in the Nazarene church, and I, I was raised up in it, and, and, and I was taught all about God. I went to Sunday school. I, I went through their catechism. I went through the whole class, sanctification classes. Stuff like that. I said, you mean you know the truth? Yeah. And I said, you have two little children and your wife? And they don't even know you know the truth? I said, Wyman, you know what's going to happen? I said, one of these days, you're going to die and you're going to stand before God. And you know what's going to happen? Your wife and your two little children are going to be standing there. And, and you've held this truth inside all that time. And on that judgment day, because you ran from the truth and you know the truth and you're hiding and you've kept them from them. On that judgment day, you're going to watch God pass judgment over your children. And you're going to watch demons come out of hell and drag your children into hell. And on the way to hell, they're going to say, Daddy, you knew and you never told us. And he began to weep and to break down. That Saturday we had a men's meeting. He came and got saved. See, the Bible says some you save as if by fire. Because some people have gotten so comfortable thinking everything's okay. They even know the truth and they'll even hide it from their family, hide it from their loved ones. They carry their pain. They have the fifth sparrow complex. Which means that in Luke chapter 12, it says that Jesus says, aren't five sparrows sold for two coins? Which means that it was four for two coins, but it's like that sale. Hey, you buy four, we'll throw in the fifth one for free. And the fifth sparrow complex says, hey, I didn't make it to the value point. I'm just thrown in as a bonus. I'm not worth as much as the four. And so we live our life with the fifth sparrow complex. We live our life in rejection. We live our life with no sense of value. We live our life with no sense. I was just added to the package. But let me tell you today, the value of something is based upon what you're willing to pay for it. And my Bible says that God put a price on you so high that nobody could outbid Him for your life. Last night we were at the Boys and Girls Club. And they had their fundraiser for, for the Boys and Girls Club, El Dorado County. And we went there to learn how to make, make our event for, the, for, for the, 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 the Progress House better. And, and learn from them. They've been doing it in, in, in a bigger scale than we do. Where we want to go and, and raising money to help rescue young girls. 
So we're watching, and then the items are there, and you see there. And, and then you see people, in my opinion, bidding too much for too little. But see, it wasn't about what they were getting. It was about the cause they were there for. And Jesus might look at you, and you might think you're a fifth sparrow. But Jesus said, I'm not here about what I think you're worth. This is about the cause and the purpose and the life that I see in you. Because I'm redefining your value. There was somebody there that paid $1,000 for a cord of wood. And you'd walk by and say, that's too much money for wood. But he wasn't there for the wood. He was there to redeem a life. He says, I believe that there will be a life connected to this wood. And this price is worth it. I watched them as they did the live auction. Somebody gave up a Labradoodle, a little word, little dog. And they said, the value is 3500 I said, I won't even start there. I would never give you $3,500 for a dog that's going to chew your shoes, eat your furniture, poop on your carpet, and pee on your bed. Well, I just love them. They're so cute. They're just huggy. They just love you. Yeah, that's okay. Glory to God. That's your life. Have fun. Hallelujah. And I said, that dog will never get to $1,200. I told Jenny, I said, that, I, I said, maybe 18 max. I said, maybe there's some weirdo in here. I'll pay $1,800 for a dog. No, don't mistake me. I like animals. I just don't like them $3,500 worth. <laughs> Amen. And so with that, here, here's this. Here's the, the, and, and the bidding starts out. And the guy goes, who will start at $2,000? He started above my estimation. <laughs> like I, said, I mean, he's barely got $2,000 out, and this lady's hand went up. I said, you got to be kidding me. And next thing you know, this guy sitting over the corner, his hand went up to $25. He didn't go to $21. $25. And next thing you know, it went to 28, and then went, you know, to three. And, and, and I watched the guy who actually bought the dog. He was an older gentleman, and he's got his head behind me. And every now and then, he'd kind of go like this, and he'd go like this. So I, I just figured his wife is sitting next to him going, you're buying the dog. <laughs> you're buying the dog. <laughs> because every time the bid went up, he didn't wait for him to ask for the next amount. His hand just went up to the next amount. And the dog sold for $4,200. That's what I said. I said, it's a dog. Have fun. Glory to God. Hope you got more to pay for the shoes, the carpet, and the furniture. Hallelujah. Amen. But it wasn't about the dog. It was about the value of boys and girls' lives. And can I tell you, Jesus says, hey, out of those five sparrows that are sold for the price of four, all five have greater value to God than you understand. And Jesus said, not one of them will fall to the ground without God knowing. And Jesus said, you are more valuable than sparrows. And Sean said it in the offering, God knows the very hairs on your head. And there's some of you in here this morning who have allowed that fifth sparrow complex of rejection to hold you back. It's governed your life. Instead of let Jesus setting you free. Some of you, what you need to let go of isn't your money. It's your excuse to stay in the house of rejection and pain. Because that's what you use and that's what you've learned how to manipulate people with to feel sorry for you. And so you get the sorrow of people instead of the glory of a Savior. I'm just trying to love you this morning. 
God loves you. If you let him, he'll let you set you free. This morning, I wish I could tell you I have a great altar call to give you, but when we truly understand the price of one soul and what God would pay to redeem it, it changes our lives. And friend, what God is asking us to do this year is truly to walk through the door of the cross. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. The sheep come through me. And the door is hinged on the cross. This is the doorpost of life. Jesus the door hangs here hinged. And you have to walk through the death of the cross to step in. So he said, I am the door. And I have come that they might have life and have life more abundantly. But you will have to step through death into life. You can't carry all this stuff with you. Going to church is not the door. There's only one way you go through the door. It's at a place called an altar. Where Paul says, I beseech you, present your bodies that living sacrifice. So this morning, we're beginning a brand new year. And I'm just making a plea to you. You don't know how hard I prayed for God to fix all of you. I'm your pastor. It's my job. And God says, I got them. Let me talk to you. I said, no. He, he said, they're my church. That's my body. Amen. How many of you ever stepped in when somebody you didn't know tried to correct your kids? Amen. There's a lot. There, 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 it, that's not my job. Done that. And I'm just asking you, is God after you? Has He been? Has the Holy Spirit been after you? Is He speaking to you? Every time you try to seek God, does He speak to you like the richer? There's something He touches. Do you hear that one thing? That one thing? I'm going to ask them to sing this song. Maybe you're here today and maybe you have that one thing. Maybe that one thing is you today for the first time really giving your life to Christ. I'm not asking if you prayed the prayer. I'm asking you if you've given your life to Christ. Do you know him? Have you given your life to him? Do you need to? Then I want to invite you to an altar this morning. 2016. A year of life. It could be your greatest life, your greatest year. If I could step through into life. If I could really step into that transforming grace that changed the word into a Savior that bore my sins, that died, that rose, and now says, follow me. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm not going to make up your altar call for you. There are some of you here. This came on me so strong Thursday morning. 
the fifth sparrow complex. There are some of you here that have carried that your whole life. You've never had a true sense of value. When I met with Francis with, see, I, I joke about Tom Hogue being my only black father. But Tom has been a father figure in my life and God filled a void in my life with my dad and my stepdad and never having a real father figure. And God has always graced my life by putting men in my life to heal that wound. But I could have carried that fifth sparrow complex and never allowed God's grace to bring healing. But the moment I died and laid that on the altar, God started bringing people into my life. And I can go through my whole life. When we started this church, God put a couple, Frank and Dean Graber. When Dean Graber passed away, Frank Graber passed away, I kissed one of my fathers goodbye. When James Stewart passed away, our missionary, I flew all the way to Missouri to be there at his bedside when he died. So I could put my hand under his thigh. Under a man that God had put in my life to fill a void so that I would no longer have to carry the fifth sparrow pain. But a man that affirmed and brought value what my dad never could do. What it wasn't, God put, he's a healer, he's a restorer. I'm talking to somebody this morning. If you would let God, if you could just find a place at an altar for a moment, if you could let that die, if you just leave that alone, don't carry that. Don't take all that with you and try to live free. If I can let it die, I can be raised in new life. While they sing, if the Holy Spirit's pulling on you, I invite you just come and find a place with God. He's speaking to you. You know exactly what the Holy Spirit's saying. You know exactly what that one thing is in your life. Why not begin this year letting that one thing go? Go ahead, guys. Come right up here just like regular worship. Come on. Hallelujah. Yeah.